are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well got so many movies to talk about <laughs> we've just got a giant stack of things to tell you of what's good what's bad and what's well just okay uh, meh yeah. yeah there's a few meh but there's a lot of good this there week. is a lot of good actually a lot of good some good surprises some really great re-releases yeah um i'm joined with me is aaron hello hello how's life uh, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Have a house now. I sold my other house officially. Nice. So I'm no longer paying two mortgages at once. Man, you were it's, just killing it with the whole dad family nice. thing. Yeah. You got things going on. You're like only a few years away though from like getting a red sports car. <laughs> I have the one picked out. Do you? Oh, you're already ready for your midlife crisis. You're like, oh man. I'm like a good I, decade and a half I, away, but I'm not still. Gonna, I'm not going to lie. If I was really like just obscenely wealthy rich, I would get the James Bond car from The Living Daylights. Okay. It, I don't remember which one that that's was. That's okay. It's not the most attractive car in the world, but for some reason, it hits me just right. Man, that just like, I love it. <laughs> I, I'm not a huge car guy overall, but that like one that I know a lot of people who actually own, but man, it's just so pretty. That one that's modeled after the Steve McQueen bullet car. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. Yeah. It's like a, what, a Dodge Charger, I, I think? I don't know. I'm not a But like, <laughs> it's a, it's just a fucking cool car. Uh, uh, the, the extents of my car knowledge is, oh, that's pretty. And it goes fast. That's cool. I'm a little scared, though, because I find that even in my little economy car, sometimes you're like, oh, shit, I was going way too fast. Yeah, and, like, I'm if not. you're in a car that's built for fucking acceleration, I can see, like, oh, fuck, I was going 90. <laughs> that's, that's why there's all the videos of some guy peeling out of a parking lot and then just wrecking his fancy car because you want to peel out. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, anyways, this is not movies. Okay, we're <laughs> going to talk movies. Uh, speaking of guys with cool cars, there's always Batman and his latest adventure coming from the animated division, Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Which, okay, we promise you um, to just keep listening. It's so much better than you think it would based on the title. Uh, I know like people are like, yeah, but what does Chris have to say? Because we know this doesn't sound like his thing. Actually, I really enjoyed the heck out of this. I'm really, <laughs> I am not a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles guy. I'd never, I, I watched the cartoon just enough times to go, yeah, this is not for me. I mean, the only iteration I've ever enjoyed was that original black and white comic book when it was a parody of Daredevil. I was like, oh, this is funny. And like, it's super violent and it's, it's, it's playing off all the Daredevil like tropes. And it was really, because that's how the, it started. It was literally just a satire of Daredevil, that's which because- is why it's the foot instead of the hand and yeah. all that. But I'm like, when they made it for super for kids, I was like, yeah, this is not my thing. Yeah, that's because you're an old guy. Yeah. I was raised on Turtles. I know. I was the perfect age group. I was super into oh. their old 80s Turtles cartoon. I, I liked it. two out of the three movies that they made a lot. It's why I still have affection for Scooby-Doo. I mean, if I had seen it when I was an adult, I'd be like, what is this shit? But yeah. I saw, I grew up with it as a kid. <laughs> They're actually Warner Brothers putting out the complete original collection remastered on Blu-ray oh. now in like a big 
fake haunted house looking case and I was like, oh man. As someone who <laughs> missed the Scooby-Doo train because I was too young, that that's nice. <laughs> but you see. But anyways, Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah, Turtles. Okay, so you were saying before, it's been the same guy directing the last couple, Sam... Sam Liu? Yeah, maybe? Sam Liu, I think. And, and basically, as soon as they made their shift into the New 52 um, universe back with the Justice League War, I think since then, like... He's been the primary director on the vast majority of them. Maybe all of them. I, mean, I might be there. Well, this one's few, directed but- by another big-time comic book writer, uh, James oh. Tyrion. Uh, I'm sorry, not Tyrion. Tinian uh, <laughs> the fourth. <laughs> wow. I think there's a point I, with numbers. I just go like, I'm just dropping the number, okay? Yeah. It just sounds weird. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff for DC, especially, including a run on, uh, runs on Justice League, Batman. Uh, uh, he wrote, actually, the original Batman. Man versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one through six with art by Freddie Williams the second. Um, yes, and he wrote the second run on it as well. <laughs> so this yeah, is not anything it. new to this guy, who's also done a, a few things for Marvel, a few things for IDW, a few things for Boom. Uh, but he's a very experienced writer. But I, I, as far as I can, I, I, this may be the first. Well, dude, Am I right? Did I do that, that right? Or No, I'm sorry. He's just saying this is based on his series. Man, I fucked this up. Sorry. It's actually directed by a guy named Jake Castorina that I know okay. nothing about. But anyway, the upshot <laughs> here is is that Batman meets the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And yeah. they, they team up together because Shredder has come, who's the big evil rat guy. Right? Was he rat no, guy? Oh, no, no, no. God. That's Sorry, that's his his, his meant sensei. Chris. No. Sorry, sensei. <laughs> his, his villain, Shredder, who's a human, uh, has gotten a hold of the ooze. Good Lord. Um, which can mutate people into the giant animal-type creatures, which are... Every fucking where in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle universe. And uh, I remember, I think I even have the rhino figure around here somewhere somebody gave me. Um, I don't know what he's called. So, but, uh, uh so. Rocksteady. It's Rocksteady, I think. So, yeah. like, Robin especially really resents these guys, like, like, cause it's Damian Wayne who's always a dick. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the turtles yeah. each have their own personality. I, f- I forget which one of them is kind of Damian Wayne-ish. Uh, Ralph. 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 Yeah. Sorry. It's not Ralph. Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> you, you threw me off. You, you are so unknowledged on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I'm sitting here going, should I correct no, them no, or should I do this? I and know. <laughs> I know this. I just forget. It's always throw me. Too. It's like one of those I don't know off the top of my head, but I do know. I am familiar enough to have the basic idea. So anyway, Shredder and Batman's villain, Ra's al Ghul, have teamed up together in exchange for the use of the Lazarus Pit, which of course cause, causes resurrection or temporary immortality for whoever bathes in it. Uh, Shredder and the Foot are uh, aiding him in building a machine that will turn everyone into these crazy mutants using the ooze. And they mix it with a Joker Venom, and it's even more powerful. And what you get is a really awesome fucking sequence, eventually, that we build up to, of all Batman's main adversaries getting hit with the super ooze and turning into giant mutated animal versions of themselves. Yes. And I was like, that's so badass! Which I thought was the climax of the movie, and was like, oh shit, this is just the midpoint. Wow. It's surprisingly a lot of fun. There are points early on where they're just the turtles, and it's just a little too normal cartoon jokey turtles. Really? Let's, See, I love pizza I, and all that. Let's skate, let's, let's skateboard, dudes. Okay, but it kind of integrated well once they started meeting the Batman characters who were kind of like <laughs> disdaining this. Batgirl thinks it's funny. 
Rob, Robin oh. is like wants to kill all of them. It's the interplay that works really well. So like, first of all, <clears throat> this is Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and pretty much nobody else in DC exists if you're not a member of the Bat family. Yes, and so the turtles show up and. They've heard of the Batman, and it's it goes back to that Batman is this mysterious figure who's almost uh, mythological in right. the real world. Almost and an so urban, maybe an urban legend. When they start running into Batman's villains and the Bat family, the turtles actually spend most of the time geeking out, and that's where a lot of the humor came in that I yeah. really got into. Like, uh, there's a part where Michelangelo is like, "Oh my God, we're, we're fighting the Batman! It's it's the Batman! Like, can I get an autograph or something? Like, please." <laughs> And, but and they, I, I do agree. I enjoy, enjoyed that too. Like and, I said, it starts working when they start interplaying and balancing yeah, their well, character. They nailed types. both the turtles and the Bat family really well. Uh, I also, yeah, Batgirl. She did an amazing job. Who I know the actress, and I'm blanking on her name right now because it's one of those people where you see it. It's like, oh yeah, her, of course. Uh, Batgirl is played by Rachel Bloom. There you go. With um, Troy Baker is Batman and the Joker. Uh, the the turtles are Eric Baza, Darren Chris, Baron Vaughn, and Kyle Mooney. Hey, I interviewed Baron Vaughn. Dude, nice. The guy. only thing that was really weird about it, though, is that and oh my it, god, it, Tom Kenny was the <laughs> Penguin. Sorry. So it, it works ultimately, but the movie is very tonally weird because it'll be very outlandish and funny, and then Shredder will throw a ninja star into someone's forehead, and you see blood spurt out everywhere. Or right. somebody will get their head cut off. It's that so, weird. So, like, the, the violence is R-rated. Yeah. Like, this is definitely a very least PG-13. At the very minimum. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a little... It takes you back when it happens, which I guess was the point. Because the rest of it feels kind of light and, yeah. and cartoonish, but in, in a good way, yeah. you know? It's just, it is an odd juxtaposition, but that also, in a weird way, helped get past those points that got a little too cartoony for my taste. Agreed. Uh, and I will say, yeah, what you said again, the sequence when all of Batman's villains become the mutants is amazing. It's so good. Like, it... I just kind of wish it had actually gone on longer. Yeah. I, I wanted them to be the villains instead of Shredder and Ra's al Ghul because they were so much cooler. Agreed. Uh, so if you get this, two, it comes in a two-disc Blu-ray DVD pack with a digital copy. There is a 12-and-a-half-minute featurette called Calabunga Batman When Comic Book Worlds Collide. That's just sort of an overview of both the franchises and how hard it was to find a way to make them team up. Uh, Fight Night in Gotham for 18 minutes. Basically the same thing, except it looks closer at the fight sequences specifically, uh, and where they, how they chose to base each person's style on known martial artists and stuff, which I actually found kind of interesting. The fighting is really entertaining to watch in this movie. And then there's a nine minute sneak peek at the next one, which is Batman Hush. Of course it's Batman. Once again, I'm like, yeah, fucking, I'm not a fan of Jeff Loeb. I've said it many times before, who wrote Hush. I don't like Hush. I think their art was nice. Other than that, it's Sam, really stupid. I really have no feelings either way on Jeff Loeb. I'm just really tired of the animated stories about the Holy Trinity. Yeah. I Where's our new? Blue Beetle and Booster Gold? Thank one. you. Thank you. Next up, we're going back to a classic, depending on how you feel about it, but I'm going to defend it, man. I'm going to say Forrest Gump is an all-time classic. It's, yes. I get it. Like It's one of those movies because well, of the nature of its sweetness and it's fairy tale and it gets a little triacly sometimes the people like to find reasons to talk shit about it it's also it's i I didn't realize this until rewatching it this time that it's a very odd movie in that i don't know that forrest gump the titular character actually has a character arc like 
I, I don't mean that as a negative. It's just the movie ends up being America as viewed through the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern lens yeah. with Forrest Gump playing both parts. It's just stumble, so, who's stumbling into unbelievable luck well, he just, over and over again. He, she, he stumbles through history. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it really is more about America as we've changed throughout these last 30 years. It's just such and, a well-constructed film. It's just like almost... The only issue I have with this film that that was uh, uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, uh, who was certainly known for in, Which, having some issues with directing stuff that deals with like triacly type things. I want to talk about that in a moment but when you're done with this. The only real issue I thought that doesn't really hold up is the parts where they zelig this a bit. That's the old Woody Allen film where they insert him into footage with like a famous person in the past because. The whatever you call the effects they were doing to make the people's mouths move to say the things they're supposed to, like John Lennon or Nixon, looks fucking terrible. See, <laughs> I, I, see, I think the John Lennon one, I agree. Everyone else, the other times, I was with it. It was, but the John Lennon well, it looked bad. especially bad. But it wasn't just that; those sequences are just not very funny. They're very take you out of the movie, weird, and uh, I'm like. I watched, I watched this going, there was a way to like do this where none of those sequences needed to be in this movie See, at all. I, like, they are extraneous jokes, I, to, like with the I, use of technology, which is a very Z- Zemeckis thing to do. I don't necessarily agree with you. I mean, you're right about John Lennon. That was just bad. That should not have been in the movie. It didn't need to be. Um, but And what I want to talk about is actually Zemeckis as this visual director, because... When I was watching this movie, I pulled up IMDb because I realized that since I think before, since Zemeckis went into full CG mode, mm. I really haven't seen any of his films. But there was a series of movies starting with Back to the Future all the way through uh, Contact and um, that one with Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer, where he What Lies Beneath, What Lies Beneath, where he makes. Some of the most visually impressive movies I've seen without ever calling attention to it. Mm-hmm. And Forrest Gump blew me away with the visual effects they used. It's just never a giant floating spaceship. It's Gary Sinise having no legs and doing stuff like that. And so some of the footage sequences, especially the ones with um, integration, like watching Forrest Gump walk up and hand her the book... I actually thought that added a lot to his character. That was a great sequence to put in there. But on the flip side, John Lennon looked horrible. So, <laughs> like, like I, I'm split on the middle, but... There's a lot of stuff that by not directly getting into it, but the movie having his way of like Forrest Gump being the avatar for Americans to some degree or another, which is to say kind of stupid, but ultimately capable of doing the right thing. Uh, you know, it works and has emotional resonance. I mean, it's a fairy tale completely. There's no way you're ever intended to take this no. movie in any sort of literal sort of sense. But, and I find it entirely charming rewatching it. I mean, I fucking weeped at, on oh, the couch dude, watching you this thing. Oh, when it got, I'm going to even cry a bit talking about it when it got to the last act which I, it's an old enough movie i can spoil it where he meets his kid no. uh who is about six months older than my like, son because it like me i oh my god like i realized that was the moment that to me tom hanks became an amazing actor and not just tom hanks like watching him go through that bit is some of the best acting i've ever seen him do in his career yeah 
I, I, this is uh, there's a reason why Tom Hanks went from star to super mega ultra star America's sweetheart, America's dad, yeah. the Jimmy Stewart of now. You know because of this movie. This yeah. is what did, it. and it's well earned. Like, I I love this movie. And this does. This is the 25th anniversary edition. You can get it either on just a plain Blu-ray, but comes with a slipcover, or you can get it in a steel box edition that they put out as well. If that's you're the type of person who has to own steel box for everything. I, I, I do want to say something funny. I just remembered. That it never occurred to me watching this movie until this time. And that's because I'm an adult now and it's a very different America than it was when I watched this originally. Mm-hmm. But do you realize the very f- first five minutes of this movie, he turns to a strange black woman at a bus stop and says, I was named after the founder of the KKK. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> it never occurred to me like that juxtaposition until watching it this time. I do think this, you know, if you have cynical feelings or an autonomic response to this thing of just, like, distaste, man, you may have been affected a bit by the internet culture and the lashback against this movie and its sheer popularity. This movie deserved its popularity. It is solid and sweet and entertaining. I mean, unless you absolutely cannot stand films that are just straight up from the heart, then... Force Gump is totally worth coming back to and rewatching. I I agree that everyone needs to go back to it, but I can see from a technical level why some people would have issues with it, because it it does have a very weird story structure, Mm -hmm. but... It's That's not, about its only drawback. It was original, to me. but it didn't take you out of the movie yet. No, so it's not weird in the sense of it makes you uncomfortable. No, it's just very non-traditional. Yeah, uh, this is. There's no bonus features that weren't included on the previous editions here. The only advantage is every previous edition of this was mastered terribly, looked bad, and this, this is the first great. version that they've actually kind of got it up to as good as it should be. It's not quite there. There's still some, like, artifacts, and there's even one point where there's a visible smudge. You're like, what the fuck? But um, this is heads and tails better above any previous existing edition. There's also a commentary with Zemeckis on this that's pretty good. Yeah, with uh, there's uh, one with him, Steve Starkey, and Rick Carter, and one with just Wendy Feinerman. There's a lot of bonus features that come from the, the... three previous re-releases of this film. But, uh, yeah, and there's nothing actually new here uh, to add to that. So, like, ultimately, it only becomes a recommendation for um, people who really want to have the best possible copy because this is way better than the previous edition in terms of the way it looks. Uh, Next up, we have one that... All right, so Blue Velvet is not my favorite (laughs) David Lynch film. It's in my top five, for sure. Uh, It's maybe even in my top three. But... There's no question that Blue Velvet is the movie by David Lynch where he first became the guy who made all the films after Blue Velvet, you know? Because well, before that, we had, like, The Elephant Man and Dune. I mean, way before that, he had done, uh, what was the first one, the black and white run, uh, Racerhead. But it was kind yeah. of a big break between before he got back into serious weirdness well, again, which was with Blue Velvet, which definitely started this trend of the whole, like... The 50s America look, even though Blue Velvet is sort of like, when is this supposed to take place? Because there's lots of things that sort of like feel like the 50s, but there's things that feel like the 80s. Strangely, Uh, I think this might be David Lynch's most accessible movie, too. I mean, of the films that are really Lynchian, if you will. I mean, The Straight Story is probably his most accessible movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. I have not. Wonderful Academy Award winning film, but not Lynchy at all. Um but, like, this theme of, like, oh, look how perfect everything looks, but under the surface there's darkness and, and nastiness, which is, you know, 
was really famously personified in this first shot where it's like this guy's watering his lawn in a very 50s looking like like suburban America dogs are barking it's beautiful outside there are flowers blooming and then he has a heart attack and falls to the oh ground oh my god is that what happened yeah and then I thought he broke his neck no he had a heart attack because that was Kyle McLaughlin's dad he visits him later in the hospital well, yeah no I yeah. got that yeah. I just I spent the whole movie going I have no idea why this guy and just randomly fell down goes under the surface of the ground and starts focusing on beetles and bugs and worms squirming under the dirt. And a lot of people at the time were confused. I was like, no, he's very clearly saying everything is yeah. not as, as nice as it looks in, in America. Blue Velvet is, I think, decidedly a masterpiece of film, and it is the first movie that he did that is going to really throw off your casual, very casual red box movie renter type. But uh, you know, no 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 shade thrown there. You like what you like, but like it at the same time of his weird films is the most accessible of them. Well like, so Lynch is weird. He falls into that realm with Gaspar Noah and um uh the guy who did um <laughs> Shit, I just blanked on his name completely. I don't know. <laughs> name the movie. Uh, I am blanking on all of his movies. He did Melancholia, which... And, oh, Lars von Trier. Thank you, and Lars von Trier, where, like, he, he makes films that are unique to his own. All of them, you can instantly, within five seconds, tell it's a Lynch movie, even if you've never seen it. And so, I, I can never really recommend a Lynch movie to somebody, because... They're so unique and so specific to him. But if you like Lynch, like, this is a really great Lynch movie. Yes, the plot is is a little wonky, <laughs> especially on the reasoning behind everything. But once you move past that, the acting is really unique and special in that very Lynchian way. I mean, even if I would call the plot wonky so much as uh, Lynchian sort of dream logic insane. It, it was really just I never got into... Why the main... So, the main character is investigating a woman. Just Com- Comic Laughlin. Comic Laughlin is investigating... Uh, uh, Isabella Rosalina. Thank you. Just because? And that was the, what I meant. Like, I never bought into his reason. No, it wasn't it. just because. Remember, he was walking... He's come back to his hometown uh, and uh, in North Carolina. And because his father had, like, this... this uh, Well, lumber town. A stroke, apparently. Yeah, big lumber... It's called Lumber Town because it is literally a lumber town. Which, uh, which it, is it, a real place. It... it I spent the entire movie going, this is basically just Twin Peaks. Today. So he found a, 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 a severed ear, and he takes the ear to a police, a local police detective, uh, and along the way becomes uh, reacquainted with his daughter, who he knew when he lived there before, who's played uh, charmingly by a 19-year-old Laura Dern. She was 19? 19 years old. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I thought they were both in their early 30s. He's about seven years older than her, okay. so he was in his late 20s, uh, like 27, 28, when they filmed this. Um, yeah, I saw what your post. I was like, I went and looked it up. I was like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> um, but he's kind of fascinated about this thing, and he's determined to find out his own thing. He's overheard his uh, the 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 detective talking about the year with a colleague, uh, saying it relates somehow back to this lounge singer locally named Dorothy Valens, who is which is a great name for a lounge yeah, singer, is. which is which is Isabella Rosalini, um, and he convinces Lara Dern to help him mysteriously, even though she's like, oh, I've got a boyfriend. He's like, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just, I know you're interested in this too. We're just friends. Let's like follow up on this. Uh, let's Scooby, Scooby gang this shit to help him pretend to be an exterminator, go to go into her apartment and uh, steal a spare key so they can come in later 
and look around more seriously for, for, for evidence. So it's very like people who are like dumb teenagers, but who, who have the Scooby instinct who are like, no, it's a mystery. We got to follow up on it, which is kind of ridiculous, but and then, they sell it. And then Dennis Hopper shows up and shit gets weird. Yeah. <laughs> like you're like, okay, so maybe she's connected and there's something fucked up with this. And she and, Comic Laughlin because she gets discovered and when he sneaks into her apartment and she like kind of has a weird like almost rapes him. <laughs> so that's the part about Lynch movies though is that nobody really acts entirely like you would in the real world. Mm. It's it's very dream, dream logic. logic. Yeah. And if you get into that, it worked. Like, this movie ultimately worked for me for the most part. And, and uh, Dennis like, Hopper, who was on everybody's bad side in Hollywood at this point, because he had been in movie after movie that he had either walked off the set or had him or fucking passed out and they couldn't wake him up because he was on so many drugs, uh, had gone through rehab for years and come out the other side like, no, I'm done, which apparently he stayed true to. Um, and this was for him his, this is the movie I'm going to get back on top. And he did. Oh, shit, he, he had a yeah. whole slew of rules after this. Although I can say it was hilarious because the character says fuck so much. That it kind of lost its impact. It started to just be kind of funny with how many ways he could work fuck into well, a sentence. It's the thing. He's so absurdly over the top. He's scary, but he's also ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it, it's one of those, like, like in Lynch films often with the horror is just so insane that you almost have to laugh at it. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it is funny, but he's never not absolutely captivating in this. Uh Dean Stockwell has a fun little role in here as one of Dennis Hopper's friends who's who's like uh has a sort of like um uh, gay, man suave. gay man suave lounge singery type guy. Don't forget uh, Chucky. Uh Brad Dorf yes. has a small role in Which, this as well. Jack so, Nance, of course, the original eraser head, appears in this. I have to admit, I kind of lost my shit when I saw Brad Dorf, because I've been rewatching the Chucky movies and I saw him and was like, No, that cannot be him. Yeah. Yeah, but Brad Dorf's had a long career since yeah, he, uh, oh, he had a, pri- a big role in uh, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, yeah. for instance. But, okay, so your question is, this is the Criterion Edition. Great. Obviously, this has got to be the best one. Curious, this has been re-released on Bl- Blu-ray bo- twice before. It's been remastered twice before. And every review I read comparing the most previous release and this one said... Man, it's six and one half dozen and other as far as sound and vision because like they're different. Decidedly, uh, this one is overseen by Lynch; the others are not. Um, but they both have their advantages. Like this is not—you can't shit all over the old one. It was fantastic. Like uh, several reviewers gave it a perfect score. Like this one is also perfect. It looks fantastic and sounds fantastic. But so it's like only—it's it, going to come down to people how anal retentive you are about like what you like specifically but so okay that's fine so maybe it's as good as the last one what about the extra features well this has also got largely the extra features that were already done for the previous one which are fantastic they do the same thing they did with um uh fire walk with me where there's basically a whole movie length feature of all the deleted scenes from the movie that Lynch himself has reorganized <laughs> into a sort of mini movie uh, that, that tell the, the side story going on that he even has scored and everything. So it's like, wow, this is like the best way you could possibly watch this many, like an hour and a half of deleted scenes. But 
That was there before. There are a few new things. There's a new documentary called It's a Strange World that takes a look at the genesis of all this, but it does it through the viewpoint of a lot of the sides guys, like the guy who made all the props, like the guy who designed the ear. They talked to him, the makeup supervisor, the second AD, um, uh, extra, some of the extras, the casting supervisor, the steady cam operator. And it's 16 minutes, but honestly, it's pretty fucking interesting. There's okay. a lot of insight into this movie of stuff I've never heard before. That's, that's really neat. And all these people who are like, you know, you always hear people talking good about a movie, but these people are like beaming with pride that they were involved with this film. Like the guy who's the, um, I, I think the guy's a cinematographer. Like this was the first movie he ever worked with Lynch on and he's worked on every single Lynch thing after that. He's like, this was his like, Hey, nice to meet you. And, and Lynch was like, you're great. You so know, stick everyone around. Everyone I've ever heard of talk about working with Lynch is told good stories. Yeah. I've never really heard anyone go, yeah, I don't want to do that again. Well, I've got a buddy who worked with him on the new Twin Peaks series, and he was like, no, Lynch is amazing. He's the sweetest, nicest guy. Every morning he comes in, shakes everyone's hand. He knows everyone's first name, every tech person. He knows everyone who is on set. He addresses them by their name. He treats everyone with respect and is polite. I mean, he can be a little hands-on as a director. Like, if he wants you to move a certain way, he will get behind you and grab each one of your wrists and show you what exactly how he wants you to move. <laughs> but, I mean, he's David Lynch. He's clearly he's, has very yeah. specific things he's looking for. It's like, it's not that's not bad, per se. Uh, anyway, so this is, like, largely the stuff that has been here before, which is all great, but there's that one new extra here, and as well as a 30-page illustrated booklet uh, that have excerpts in the novel Room to Dream, which is uh, uh, a book he co-authored with Kristen McKenna in 2018. There's also an audio recording of him reading from it uh, as one of the extras here. The, it's a beautiful looking edition. It's Criterion at their best. Um, it's not heads and tails above previous editions, but it is the best edition in my there opinion to get. Uh, I, I love this movie. I will rewatch it many more times. Next up, coming from Kino is, is it Kino? I think it's Kino is Bright Angel. Yes. I had never Kino. heard of this movie before. Um, but boy, look at the cast list on this fucking thing. Yeah, holy shit, man. I was like, how have I never heard of this movie? <laughs> um, Dermot Mulroney, Lily Taylor, Sam Shepard, Burt Young, Bill Pullman, Benjamin Bratt, Mary Kay Place, Will Patton, Delroy Lindo, and all when they're like, Fucking teenagers. (laughs) You're like, oh my God. Well, maybe not all, but you know what I'm saying. When they're really young. Like Lily Taylor to me is always the person they get normally to play the girl who's like really fucked up and insane or she's the the ugly, mean best friend. But when she was like 18 years old, she was a straight up hottie. And they're playing her for that type of role here. And I was like, wow, I've never seen Lily Taylor play a part like this. Very odd. I've never seen Dermot Mulroney, who is the lead here play a part like this and it's kind of a shame that the movie just kind of ambles aimlessly aimlessly yeah. from scene to scene the way well, that it does so like, the movie does a lot of things i like uh when i finished this movie I, I ended up going well that was all right and i started looking it up online and just was seeing rave reviews and so i started reading them and somebody mentioned something that really struck me as true the movie does a great job of taking these wide-open expanses and making them feel insanely claustrophobic. And making it this dark, twisted, just small-growth t- story that these little teenagers go through. And so, 
it was written by, or the movie was written and directed by the guy who wrote short stories that it was based on. It has a very... Well, it's, no, it's written was, by. Written? I thought, okay. Yeah. So he didn't direct it, never mind. But it, the movie has a very specific way of speaking. It almost Lynchian in that, like, no one really talks like this. And that's okay. It it's kept, its own lingo. It, kept, but, it keeps feeling like something really weird and dreamlike is going to happen, but it doesn't. Well, <laughs> I, I felt like, while well, all of these are... I could never tell if the issue was the script or if the actors just weren't there yet and being able to deliver this You tell the material. plot, because I'm going to get away with you while you Okay. Good luck. So, Take at least 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dermot Mulroney is a high school student who is a boxer who, in the opening scenes of the movie, essentially catches his mom having an affair with his dad. And the dad kicks her out, and she runs off with her boy, and this obviously causes great change in him. And so he sets off with his friend and the girl who he just met, who is Lily Tomlin, who was shacking up with his friend's uncle, and they decide to go to a small town in Wisconsin that's like a day away or half a day away because he has family there and he thinks his mom might go. And so from there, we learn a lot more about the characters and it ends up really being about she is a Canadian come to America because her brother is in jail and she's trying to get him out of jail. Yeah, she's trying to yeah. pay off the guys who well, are going to be state's witnesses. Yeah, and they they, they kind of end up in this kind of dark spiral of self-discovery and very much like Blue Velvet, uh, end up getting stuck with some shadier characters yeah, than they really intended Substitute to. Dennis Hopper for... Bill Pullman for yeah. Dennis Hopper. If you ever want to say Dennis Hopper or Bill Pullman play this completely psychotic like crazy, like killer guy. Well, to my knowledge, we never have other than this. This is like this is the movie you've been waiting for. So, like Dermot, Dermot Milroney and Lily Tomlin are okay in this movie. All the other actors are good. They do a really interesting job. So it still pulls you scene to scene. Like, like each set piece sequence is like, oh, I'll watch this. This is interesting. It keeps me there. But it never manages to really stitch itself together. Yeah. And so at the end, you're just like, oh. Okay. That was okay, a movie that cool, happened. Some shit happened to some people. That was a journey you had, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of like, really? All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just never are able to quite care about any of the characters. No. They never give you enough because they never seem quite real. Well, um, and, and nothing quite interesting enough happens to them. The only scene in here that really stood out is the sequence with Bill Pullman to me, which I thought he was so good in this. I liked the scene with, um, oh, and I'm blanking on his name. Delroy Linda? Yes. Yeah. I, I like that scene, but it also... Or he's the guy married to his aunt, I guess. He, he's married to his aunt, and he is a paraplegic who uh, clearly was wounded, maybe in the line of duty, but has basically turned into a right-wing gun nut who just has 30 or 40 guns, and within 10 seconds of meeting this boy for the first time in his life, proceeds to show him his gun collection and rant at him about how he's going to kill the guys when they come get him. Every time I've ever been to someone's house who's like a huge gun nut, the first thing they do is tell show you their gun collection. Every single time. (laughs) 
I, I'm always like, okay, thanks and all, but I, okay. <laughs> but like, but the thing is, is it goes nowhere. It, it's yeah. it's a it's just a little set piece. Yeah, and then it's done. And it was fun while it lasted, but meant ultimately nothing, which is pretty much the movie. I mean, I think there's, this feels like a lesser Sam Shepard play, which he had nothing to do with other than having a small role in this as the dad, but like, it does have that feel of like a really lesser Sam Shepard you know, play. You know this, is? this is the quintessential 90s indie. Like, just, it's like, oh, okay, cool, yes. Here are a bunch of 90s characters meandering through small yeah, town life. The character actors back when they were young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think this might be worth a look, but it's certainly nothing terribly memorable. But Kino Lober Studio Classics put it out with a brand new 1080p transfer, and there's an audio commentary by the director and a booklet essay by writer Richard Ford. So... There's that. Uh, next up, we have The Running Man. No, not the Arnold Schwarzenegger Running Man. Sorry, that would have been decidedly more fun to rewatch than yes. Arrow Academy's re-release of this 1963 film that, quite frankly, is only truly interesting because at one point there was a conspiracy theory around it. Oh, because, well, they were putting out marketing for it, uh, saying an ad saying, Running Man, please call Lee, which relates to the plot. And this happened right around the time that Lee Harvey Oswald assassinated uh, Kennedy. And so the FBI basically invaded their offices, thinking that they were involved in this conspiracy to kill Kennedy. And it hit the newspapers. <laughs> and there's still, to this day, um, an urban legend around it saying that the film failed because there were actors named Lee and actors named Harvey in it, and that the whole thing was like somehow connected to the Kennedy assassination. Which All of this is nonsense. The truth is, this is just a forgettable, albeit reasonably well-shot, with with decent actors in it, movie that is the the plot that rarely works in film noir and film noir generally speaking doesn't work great if it's super sunny, but you know there are exceptions. But it's possible. Yeah, um, which is insurance fraud is always a hard sell. Now I realize Double Indemnity is maybe the number two or three best noir yeah, film of all yeah, time. But Double Indemnity doesn't begin with like an eight-minute flashback, <laughs> like complete with wavy glass in front of the camera. Right. And Double Indemnity has an actual protagonist in the movie. Yeah, I mean, Lee Remick uh, plays Stella Black, who's a widow, just come back from her husband's memorial service, dying in a gliding accident. He was a big like uh, pilot-type guy, but his body was never recovered. Uh, but she knows right away, and we see, because he snuck, sneaks back into the apartment, that, oh, yeah, he, he, played by Lawrence Harvey, is still alive. This is all just a big insurance fraud thing that he's largely kind of browbeat her into being part well, of. I liked her in this movie, both the actress and the character. And then the husband showed up. And the problem is that the movie... So, basically, he goes over to England. Is it England? Or... No, Spain. He goes to Spain. She follows shortly behind. And we kind of follow both of them independently. Him, as he is becoming this playboy rich guy and pretending to be a rich Australian. And then her, as she's meeting him, and seeing that with power and anonymity come assholishness. But the movie really picks up a bit when she runs into the guy who was just the insurance guy who yeah. came like, I've just got to ask you these questions who happens to be in the same town and she's like, fuck. 
And like, he's like, I like you. Yeah. Uh, it's played by uh, Alan Bates, uh, Academy Award nominated ac- actor, Alan Bates, who's actually probably been in some movies you've, you might have seen before, like The Rose or An Unmarried Woman or Woman in Love uh, or Georgie Girl, King of Hearts, lots of stuff. Um, oh, wow. Was he the lead in King of Hearts? That's such a good movie. That's why he looked so familiar. He played the lead in that. <laughs> Sorry. Off on a tangent in cat. my head there. <laughs> um but he's genuinely a really likable character actor here, and they kind of have this meet cute where you can tell that she genuinely kind of digs on this guy, but at the same time, she's like feeling guilty about it. Her husband is perpetually getting more and more to be a selfish asshole, and it plays out exactly how you'd expect you it know, to. Like, I feel like if the husband were kind of legit evil, or if maybe the two of them were a little more lock and step and she was going bad at the same time, the movie would be a lot more interesting. But as it is, you get to see some pretty places. It doesn't, pretty it doesn't age well in terms no. of a female protagonist-led film. Like no. She is a helpless female here. Having said that, I've seen worse oh, yeah. on this show in the last month, so uh, I, that didn't bother me. There's an audio commentary by critic Peter William Evans. There's isolated music and effects track. Is on the trail of the running man for 24 and a half minutes. It's a newly done aggregation of interviews with the people who worked on the film. Uh, there's Lee Remick at the National Film Theater from 1970 being interviewed about it and an image gallery. Next up, we have T34, the second most successful Russian film in history in terms of box office. What's the first? Uh, I don't, you know, I tried to look it up and I couldn't find something that would tell me what it was, but I saw all these things saying second, okay. most, second place on the most biggest blockbusters of all time. Also, oh, I'm sorry. It's behind a movie called Going Vertical that happened in 2017 okay. that I never, which was about that controversy, controversial victory of the Soviet national basketball team over the 1972 U.S. Olympic team. This is also the movie that answered a, a meme question I've had for a while because the, uh, a lot of the tank battle in this movie, they have these slowed down CG shots, and that shit has been all over the internet for months. Hmm. And I've been like, what is this? Is it a game? Is it, th- is it a movie? What's it from? It's T-34. It's T-34. So, I, I asked for this initially because, well, A, I found that I kind of like war movies that are tank-themed. I don't know why. I do as well. I, I really enjoy tank movies. I've seen a couple that, like, like foreign ones, like, like that hardly anyone else has seen that are like, I love this movie. Uh, <laughs> so here's my theory is that it's kind of like submarine warfare on land. Yeah. It's tense. It's claustrophobic. It's very... Uh, methodical, oh, we missed, and now it takes us a minute to reload, and they're right. just going to destroy us now. And they tend but to be it, very character-based as yeah. well, because it's such a, a tight, claustrophobic thing with a limited cast. Dude, uh, I was a huge fan of David Ayer's Fury when it came oh, out. Oh, yeah, me too. Back. And, like, it's, it's always nice to see a tank movie. <laughs> but uh, T-34 is kind of the Michael Bay of tank movies. Yeah. Which is not... I don't mean that in a bad way, necessarily. It certainly has some wonky CG at points. Not the worst you've ever seen or anything, but, like, oh, just okay CG. I'll, I'll be honest. There was only, like, two moments in the movie where I I was taken out of it by the CG. Yeah. Every other time, even And even though, then, it's not a big it, deal. It was, never, it was never, like, that's amazing CG. It just right. worked. And there's some moments that are, like, okay, that's pretty implausible, you know, <laughs> But the, the, and when you hear the plot here, which is basically this guy who is like 
the ultimate badass tank driver commander. Who, who is a novice. He's never actually commanded a tank right. before. And yet he's just a natural. Yeah. And he takes out with his crew, like what, like nine tanks yeah. or something and in this he, deserted he takes town? Out an entire advancing German platoon. Yeah. Uh, by him, like a bunch with of one, tanks ta- and one ca- all half broken down <laughs> tank because he's just that much of a badass. And that sequence, which the movie starts with, is awesome. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow, this is great. But he ends up getting captured, uh, the rest of his crew are killed, and he's brought into a, uh, a Nazi camp, and coincidence, the guy who beat him, the other, the Russian commander, shows up in the camp, and he's like, hey, I know who this guy is. Yeah, I'm the one who beat you. Uh, I'll tell you what, we got this program going on, because we have more tanks than we have qualified people to operate them, so we want you to train our tank people by getting in an unarmed tank and using your most badass tactics, because uh, full respect, man, you are a badass, and 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 uh, basically do your best to survive as long as possible versus these people. And if you if you do, we'll give you like a pardon or whatever. Yeah, you right. and your tank crew, which is they're like that's never going to happen. How can you survive against a, 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 a novices or not a whole crew of armed tanks with a, with an with, unarmed with no tank. ammo? By yeah. The way. So. Right off the bat, like, okay, so here's this tank that's, like, broken, so you guys fix it, and, like, you're also in charge of totally fixing it before it goes out, and you have this much time, and they find hidden shells inside the tank, and they're like, oh, yeah. There's also, like, (laughs) dead bodies and blood and guts inside, too. Like, they literally just went, like, yeah... We, th- we threw a fire grenade in here and killed everyone, and now we just took the vehicle and yeah. haven't touched it since. It's, you know, and it ends up going more or less exactly where you think it's going to go, but it's a fun ride the whole time. I had a really fun time watching this movie, and it has that same thing that every Chinese new movie has right now, where it's incredibly nationalistic. So, like, wow, nationalistic. Honestly, the nationalism didn't bother me because watching this kind of a war film, I expect some amount of that. But even, like... There's always some raw rustic involved. What got to me is they introduce a female character who's a translator, and the moment she shows up, she starts making goo-goo eyes at the main character. And... They... She helps them escape. She ends up going with them in the tank. And... that's kind of all to be expected, but what they did that kind of I rolled my eyes at is instead of this being, yeah, you know what? We met. It's wartime. We kind of fucked. It was fun. Yeah. No, they fell madly in love. And yeah. They're going to get married and have kids and yada, yada, yada. This was supposed to be a big Michael Bay for Russia, crowd-pleasing, nationalistic, flag-waving movie that ultimately does what it does pretty good. But that part is just so on-the-nose obvious because she is really a minor plot device in the film that after yeah. her purpose there serves no purpose whatsoever Other except to have a love interest to, in love. to be clear <laughs> that the main guy is just that badass. <laughs> that, like women just fall over yeah. themselves. He's not only badass, he's sweet and sensitive too. Yeah, he is sweet and let's not forget about his sensitive side. <laughs> but, but like, I mean, we're making fun of this, but it's, it's meant, really good. It's, it's meant no sort of like, like I, I, I kid, I kid. Well, and so what I was mentioning with the memes, they did the same where, Every time there is a legit, like, tank shot that's a kill or a dramatic shot, they slow time down and they follow the shell. And so, like, you watch these trick shots where they'll, like, bounce off the ground and go through the lower armor before it explodes. And it's it's cool shit. It's really cool to watch happen. Like, I, I got into it. 
Yeah, no, I don't disagree at all. Um, it was, it was like I said, implausible. Yeah. But I mean, the idea, like, this is like, this guy is such a badass. He is doing trick shots with a tank. Yeah. Like that shot where he's like, shoot under it and it bounces up into it. I was like, come on. Okay. It was awesome. But come on. Go, yeah. I did. I did. I was like, yeah, fuck those. Who was that? Americans? I'm German, not even German. Germans. German. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck those it was Nazis. Okay. We, yeah. They're Nazis. Okay. They, it's all right. We all, like, we're on with the Russians on that one. <laughs> like, they probably started, they, they're like, we beat the Nazis by, uh, uh, putting a bunch of propaganda on Facebook. Well, and, <laughs> and, and the last thing I want to say is the cool thing they do is when they find the shells, they're like, okay, we have six rounds, and that is it. And they don't cheat that. And they, like, that's the whole movie is all those ten sequences are going, okay, if we miss, we're fucked. Or we have two rounds left, and there's eight tanks coming after us. So what do we do? Like, that stuff is really cool. So in the effort to try and keep these things under an hour, because I've had people complain, like, these things, the episode's too long, you're trying to break over an hour, we're going to break this one in half and make this the end of the okay. of the first episode. So the second one will come out next week, uh, very shortly into it, where we cover the rest of the, the stack, So uh, uh, and we've got some really great stuff to talk about. Oh, my <laughs> More God. More screen time for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thanks for listening to Digital Noise. Please use the links on the page. Click on those links. They'll bring you to an Amazon page. That page, if you buy those uh, those movies from it, we get a kickback. In fact, if you buy anything on Amazon starting from our links, we get a kickback. And we do, in fact, appreciate that. Thank and you we'll be back in a few days with part two.